And that was us misfiring for about 10 minutes before we managed to actually start the podcast. Now that we are starting it, I have a device in my hand, and it goes like this. I heard so, something, and it was really disappointing. Yeah, it, it was actually my sonic screwdriver, which I just found under a... Oh, it did sound oh. like a sonic screwdriver. <laughs> did you guys sneak holding... in a work in there? Yeah, I'm... You know what? I'm going to assume that that worked flawlessly, and we're going to continue. <laughs> you, because you can just put the not... volume... Because something came to you. You can just put the volume up on that bit. Yeah, that's just the, hey, hey, that's okay. the best intro we have. Okay, okay, everybody shut up for a minute. Wow, was that a sonic screwdriver? I hate you. I hate you. With the fury of a thousand sons. Is that one of those that you can pick up from ThinkGeek? Uh, yes, that is in fact where I got it, I believe. Uh, right. Actually, is I, I it, got it as a birthday gift this year. Is but... it a 10th or 11th, uh, 11th. Doctor? Yeah, yeah the best awesome. Sonic screwdriver. Yeah. So, that was our intro today, and I'm not editing it, so we are already going to run long today. I can tell. Awesome. Uh, wow, was that a Sonic screwdriver? It's just, oh, oh. <laughs> I, blood vessels are popping in my forehead as we speak. You love it. Hey, let's do introductions, because we've got somebody new today, and what? it's Mooney. It is Mooney. Uh, it is no- Mooney in the flesh. Yes, that's right. Uh, known to you folks who have been around Con as Evil Eye, this is Chris Mooney, and I will probably be calling him Mooney through the entire show, because that's all I call him nowadays, and he's joining us. Yeah, I've almost uh, never heard my first name in any way, shape, or form here. It's always just Mooney. No one uses my first or last name. So, eh. Aww. Tittles is my first and last name. Oh. All right. He's What's Tittles, a Tittle <laughs> is one of these. Are you sure that's what you meant? About. Oh, I missed the inside well, jokes. Probably all of our viewers got that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the wonderful thing about Tittles is Tittles is wonderful things. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Yeah, so you've heard everybody now. Uh, today we've got me, Tittles, Laz, and for the first time, Mooney. You're not Tittles. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Uh, yay! So let's get into it. Uh, Mooney, what you playing? What you watching? Uh, well, lately I've actually been going kind of old school. Actually, I was talking with uh, Tittles on Saturday, and that actually got me really crazy to play a lot of Morrowind again. So, yeah! Uh, yeah, we're going back second. into some familiar games here, and this time just trying to get a pretty solid playthrough without screwing everything up too much or killing the wrong people too early. Well, yeah. you can always listen to, well, assuming it didn't get cut in the edit, you can always listen to some previous podcasts where I probably have already told you some hilarious things you can do with enchantments in Morrowind. I'm pretty sure I got that. You, <laughs> well, we'll splice yeah, I've it been into this definitely one. exploring ways to break one. the game. Just, is that the just, one just where you walk through? Is that the one where you walk through swamps all the time instead of walking through forest all the time? Not yeah, really. Okay. Maybe. All right. <laughs> well, there's some. It's, yeah, the, the thing I like about it compared to Oblivion is that it's pretty varied. Um, and you've got Oblivion is pretty much field and forest, and uh, Morrowind you've got kind of you got some swamps, you got some ashen bits, you got some villages made out of giant crabs. Okay. Cool. Made of giant crabs? Well, shells. Oh. I have to say, though, it's still like my favorite game where it's just like, oh, crap, I've just stumbled out upon a new dungeon here. Let me just check this out. Let's just see what's going on in here. Like, Skyrim has quite a bit of that, but I haven't played that a whole lot yet. It's a pretty fun time. I mean, I, it's an older game and an older PC game, so it's got that kind of raw difficulty to it in certain <laughs> respects. So I can really remember, 
you know, going into dun- dungeons where they were really too high level for me at the time, and you had things in that game that could drain your strength attribute, and that would lower your weight allowance, and so you end up not being able to move. You can't even move slowly in Morrowind if you exceed your weight allowance, so I'm just standing yeah, there. Yeah, that's definitely happened to me already. <laughs> I can't drop my stuff, and this doesn't wear off, so... How's this gonna work? That's just mean. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was just like going along, like going along some town here, and suddenly I just get attacked by like some bird, and it's just like, congratulations, you have hell joint, you can't hit anything now. The the, the cliff races, man. There's a whole there's a whole saga throughout the series about the cliff races only appear in Morrowind, and if you if you read the books like DP does, um, you will eventually find out that. The character you see at the beginning of Morrowind who ushers you off the boat goes on to become the hero of Morrowind who vanquishes cliff racers from the land because everybody hates them so much. <laughs> That's <laughs> one of those impressive. great I, pieces of lore. I wonder, they should really put that encumbrance thing in Elder Scrolls Online because that is the most <laughs> innovative player killing methodology that I think I've ever heard. Wouldn't that be great if you're just running around the MMO and all of a sudden you can encumber somebody to the point that they can't move? And then I, well, this I, comes and beats you know, I think I would write a counter story to that to say that because he removed all the cliff racers, then that's responsible for that being where all the dragons come into existence for Skyrim. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> It's yeah, you, you, it's natural selection. You can't clear out an ecosystem without something else rising up to take its place. Yeah. I have no idea what a cliff racer is, but it seems like that would be less damaging than having dragons everywhere you look. Yeah, that is a fair assessment. You know, the reason that I had to edit out all that stuff last time is because we turned it into a total Elder Scrolls podcast. So, right. well, yeah, why don't we just do that? Why don't we just do that? Because I've never Cause... played any of them. Well, get on with it. I'm sure yeah. I'll probably. Okay, what do you why want don't you me? shut up and talk about what you're doing, Tittles? I released Sonic 3 Complete, Yeah. and then I fixed oh, some bugs and released it again. Hello? And then I fixed some more bugs and I released it again, and then I had some new stuff and released it again, and there's more stuff to do, because it's a never-ending cycle. But it's out there. Go and enjoy it. It's got loads of new stuff, and everybody thinks it's great. So It's at tittles.org. Slash S3C. You're um, an org? All right. I'm an org and a net, baby, he's, but that's he's, not a story. He's a massive org. <laughs> <laughs> and a massive net. <laughs> Whatever that means. I catch fish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. I, I'm already disillusioned with today. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best podcast ever. <laughs> Keep the pace, man. Let's go. I know that I'm doing nothing, but I know that oh, come I will have something to say about what Laz is doing. So Laz is gonna right. go. Well, we don't have TP. Uh, TP. We don't have <laughs> DP. We don't have DP. Your <laughs> <butthole>. <laughs> okay. All right. We don't have DP with us today, so I know he'll be very disappointed to listen to us talking about a book. No, he doesn't read any books that were made after like made. Doesn't read any books that are written after like 1950. Oh, so. then never big, he, no big deal then. Yeah, he, because of the smell of the pages and the leather bindings and the. <laughs> hey, I am one of those people. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> he has many leather-bound books. Oh. <laughs> a room for a room full of books. But anyway, I'm reading just one book, and it was written a couple of years ago. And it has a lot to do with video games, because it's called Ready Player One. And it's a book by Ernest Cline. 
It's about a slightly dystopian future where there's an energy crisis and no fossil fuels anywhere in the world, and people in despair uh, mind their time by playing a giant virtual simulation MMO called The Oasis. And uh, this is five years prior to the start of the events of the book, the, uh, the architect of The Oasis died and revealed a, uh, showed a video to the whole world that he telling that he had left an Easter egg in the Oasis, and the first person that finds it in the MMO becomes the new, uh, like, god of the Oasis and inherits his multi-trillion dollar fortune. So, Sounds almost like uh, Journey the Book. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of like Journey meets Willy Wonka meets The Matrix. <laughs> and, uh... And yeah, and it basically, so for five years, there have been people that have devoted their lives to fighting, finding the egg. They're called egg hunters or gunters. And they are all obsessed with 80s folklore and films and video games because the creator of the Oasis was. And all of the clues to where the egg is have to do with 80s films and 80s video games. So there's uh, just uh, some of the plot points that uh, are involved in the egg hunt are things like they have so they have to play a live action version of Zork they have to perfectly <laughs> they have to perfectly reenact the 1982 film War Games uh they they have they have to do a jousting match against a uh D&D Lich King and when i say jousting match i mean they have to play the stork versus ostrich game joust it's oh, that's awesome yeah it's it um sometimes it's a little uh like I mean, sort of pandering to gamer forced. culture, but uh, it is extremely entertaining, start to finish. Uh, I somehow cared about the characters at the end of the book. <laughs> and it sounds like it would be a struggle to write a book where you care about the characters <laughs> and is so kind of nerd culture heavy. If you are a child of the '80s, as obviously I am, uh, since I was born three months into that decade, or you have some level of affection for that period as a nostalgia type person and everybody should because the 80s were awesome uh even if you don't get all of it you're gonna kind of get the feel of it oh, and yeah. it, it was interesting to note that you know you do kind of care about what happens to the characters offline despite the fact that you know the focus of the book and most of the you know salient plot points happen in a virtual world it, it kind of sneaks up on you in that way and that's very cool um now, some people may recognize the name Ernest Klein. Uh, probably not many. I, I think that uh, Ready Player One is what really made him famous. But he was actually also the guy that wrote the movie Fanboys. Yeah. Have any of you guys seen that? No. I've heard about it. I have. I mostly saw it because uh, I think um, Kevin Smith was involved with the project, and yes. Kir and Kirsten Bell was in it. I'm sorry, Kristen Bell was in it, and I love both of those people. So. <laughs> That's an interesting lead-in, Laz. We'll use that later. Well, there is a point to make, and I don't, I don't know much about the book or the author, so I don't want to criticize them because I'm sure they're grand, grand things. But there is a, a sort of, there's a tendency with kind of nerd culture that it just, it, it kind of doesn't take itself at all seriously, and and it's sort of almost kind of, you know, self. Uh, I've got no words today. <laughs> sort of got, it's kind of it's kind of a self-hating culture. It's quite a lowly culture. You see, it's on the sort of bottom of the. So when you get a kind of, hey, this guy's written a book for nerds, and he's a nerd, and it's got nerd things in it. <laughs> Glaven. 
All right, well, um, just I guess just to close, this is a very entertaining, interesting novel about, you know, Willy Wonka, the video game book, where there's the, it's super 80s and super entertaining, and if you like books and video games, I recommend you read it. It does sound good. Ready I'll, Player One. I'll, I'll probably give it a go if, once I remember to read anything. <laughs> <laughs> like the instruction manual. should do that first. You know, I'm not even going to ask an instruction manual you might have that you need to read. It's one of those things, you know, I, I would say there should be more to, to, to the video game story that you didn't hear about. You know, that's one of those things. What was I reading the manual about? You don't know. You can make it up. <laughs> make up your own story. It's more fun that way. Uh... You know, we could just ask the listeners to do that for the entire podcast. Choose we'll your just, we'll podcast just not... adventure. If you want us to move <laughs> yeah. on to today's topic, press 1 now. Two, two. <laughs> now, I'm going to assume that everybody did press one because we're going to move on <laughs> to the topic now. Uh, today's topic yeah. is, you know, something that has become a huge thing, not just in gaming, but in media in general over the last year or so. And it's uh, crowdfunding for projects. So sites like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, things like that. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit today about, you know, some cool Kickstarter projects that maybe we did or didn't back, or ones that we've heard about, or ones that are a massive abuse of the system, <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that we've got three people here who have backed a Kickstarter or two over time, and one person, Mooney, who yeah. really knows Jack. The only thing I know situation. is that like I heard Veronica Mars got like a crap load of funding or something. Back like to that. back to Kristen Bell somehow. Well, there we go. Let, there let's we go. start there because that is one of if the only we more could, famous ones. If only we could fit these segues together somehow. Yeah, like <laughs> talking about them, like I just did. Shut up, Tittles. You I wish I had watched Veronica Mars. So you shut up. I did. I what? Watched, like I watched about five episodes of it. So Why did there. Because stop? uh, they stopped showing it on E4 in the mornings. Oh. Okay, uh, that's actually I'm, a pretty good I'm, reason. But yeah, I, you know, really as, I think uh, I think you know the most about the concept, really, and what little there is to actually know about the the core concept. So, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar, and Mooney, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can basically explain it as if I was a child. Yes, do that. Okay. That's okay. Here's an editor's note. We realized after we recorded this that you really probably didn't need an explanation as to how everything works, so we're just going to make this incredibly silly for a while. Alright, now, some, now, when people make movies or video games or TV shows, oh, normally <laughs> normally they have to talk to people called producers and convince them that this is something that can make money. And, but some, and sometimes the producers will give them money to make the thing, and sometimes they won't. But for sometimes, producers just aren't really willing to work, and it's hard to, for people to make the shows and games that they want to make. So they uh, turn to services like Indiegogo and Kickstarter and uh, make something called a pitch, where they talk about their idea and why it should be made. And then regular people, like me and you, can just can donate money so that project can be made. And the more money you donate, the more little uh, prizes or uh, bonuses that a backer might receive from the project. Now, uh, this Kickstarter, Kickstarter is probably the um, service that's synonymous with crowdfunding. And Kickstarter received a huge boon a little over a year ago when Double Fine, makers of games like Psychonauts and Brutal Legend and the Immortal Costume Quest, all of this uh, did a Kickstarter for, that was called Double Fine Adventure, saying, hey, we want to make an old school adventure game like we used to do, but producers are unwilling to fork up the money for it, so we're using Kickstarter. And Double Fine Adventure was outrageously successful and made, I think, right, like, all, right around $4 million when they were asking for something like 200000 Hello? Is anyone else here? No, we're oh, just, okay, okay, okay. Rapidly. Uh, so it's a look it at looks it. like uh, Double Fine Adventure. Uh, it's called the, yes, three point three million dollars. All right, that, okay, I made my numbers wrong. I actually did not give to Double Fine Adventure because I was leery of the whole Kickstarter process. But now that I've given to a couple and a couple and one or two Kickstarter games have come out to some success, I sort of wish I had, and I might end up buying Double Fine Adventure, which is now called the Broken Age. I'll probably buy that on Steam when it comes out or shortly thereafter. I was just about to ask. So most of these games make their way to like Steam or something like that. 
Uh, yes, it's, um, some of them are sold through, you know, just, uh, proprietary services. A lot of them make their way towards Steam or GOG or something. The, uh, probably, I think the easiest example to point out for a, a Kickstarter game that actually was released successfully is, uh, FTL, which is a fun little, uh, sort of Starship roguelike game that, uh, came out late last year and has been doing very well on Steam, and it was one of the, it's one of the earliest Kickstarter successes. But the important thing to note about Kickstarter, in particular as a service, is that 10% of the money goes to Kickstarter itself, so the, um, developers or whatever are only getting 90% of the, of the uh, pledge money. And also, um, uh, people can, of course, uh, pledge however much they want, and there's usually a sort of little tree of rewards that pledges receive. Um, uh, you, uh, for games, typically a low uh, reward tier is a digital copy of the game when it comes out, and a higher reward tier might be a t-shirt or a spot in the special thanks credits of the game, and sometimes it can get pretty elaborate and crazy. But uh, the important thing to note is that Kickstarter does not guarantee anything. It is, I mean, by backing one, you are essentially gambling. There is, uh, they don't, if, they're, if their product is funded and your money gets spent, they don't technically owe you anything, and, and have nothing really to show for it other than their reputations. And uh, there hasn't been a huge high-profile case of it yet, but there have been a couple cases of Kickstarters, you know, uh, getting funded, but then not delivering and people lose their money. That's just how it works. And that sucks. But luckily it hasn't happened to such a large group of people that um, the service has, you know, lost face in a big way. There, that was fun. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Well, I'm and, actually and... looking at the site now. It's kind of neat that they uh, have some, like, categories for, like, even the city you're in and stuff like that, like yep. what people are doing near you. But Double Fine Adventure really opened the floodgates, and um, now it's not even in one of the top five grossing Kickstarters anymore. Uh, just to throw out a couple gaming-related ones, there was a uh, a sequel to the Shadowrun franchise is actually supposed to come out very soon. There's also a, a couple spiritual sequels to old computer RPGs like Project Eternity and uh, Torment Tides of Numeria are two that are supposed to be in the tradition of your Baldur's Gate or your and your Planescape Torment, and both of them did extremely well. That one's coming I out. I would definitely be interested in that uh, Torment game. Uh, the Torment Kickstarter did astoundingly well, and uh, they raised about $4.1 million on uh, on Kickstarter uh, for a $900,000 goal. Go it's ahead, not go just uh, individual video games. Uh, if you've heard of the Ouya, uh, that was actually also Kickstarted and drew in over $8.5 million. So and if you think have that's something that people want to buy into, it's, you know, there is no lack of the way that this works um it, it's interesting because you know like laz mentioned it's an investment thing not a purchase not a guarantee anything like that and like any investment it could go north or south pretty quickly but it's also an investment that is socially networked and it's very easy to tell your friends about it have them contribute it's very easy to share it on social media to try to drum up more support and you know keep the ball rolling even whether you've actually backed it yourself or not and that makes it really interesting for you know things like this that wouldn't get media attention wouldn't get investment through traditional means but would actually grab uh, a lot of eyeballs through virality well you and, say uh, investment but it's important to note that um it's an investment where you're going to get back a product but you're not looking at investing to get your money back or anything like that no. Right, you're investing the, to get something that you want, yeah. even if you have to pay a little bit more when it actually shows up. If the if their target amount is not funded, then no one gets anything. Uh, everyone has their money refunded, and uh, and the creator of the Kickstarter does not get any money at all. So it's they have and to probably they, throws himself off of a bridge. Right, that, like that has. Den, um, yeah, I like that as like a unique solution as opposed to, you know, all the AAA games, which, don't get me wrong, I have a lot of AAA games, like, I'm a Blizzard fanboy through and through, but um, it's always nice to find, like, the, the little gems and the stuff that just, you know, turn it on its head, uh, rather than, you know, buying a $60 game and then paying $15 a month and then just offering you other stupid services for just 
ungodly prices and saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that, even though it's what everyone wants. Well, speaking of little gems, how about titles that uh, Dreamfall Chapters Kickstarter, which you led me mm. to a while back? Yeah. Um, so I, you're mm-hmm. almost certainly not familiar with The Longest Journey or Dreamfall because you're some kind of cultural ignoramus. But um, I have that on Steam. Have you I played it? Journey that is. Um, play. I played the first ten minutes of it. Yeah, everybody's played the first ten minutes of it, and they get bored by the lesbian landlady, and they never play it again. <laughs> but there is more to it than it's, a lesbian. It's landlady. like you're looking into a window into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> there is more to it. There's a lot more to it, and if you can suffer the well, I mean it. it TLJ feels a little clunky today, gameplay-wise, but it's a great story. It's very well written. It is a fantastic story, and if, I was if, never one for if you a like, click game. But... If you like Final Fantasy for the story, and you want to play games with a good story, you should invest some time in this. I thoroughly recommend it. And yeah, anyway, and... this was this game was made in something like 1998 or so, and um, there was a sequel of sorts, Dreamfall. It came out in 2006, I think. So, long time between releases. And in the meantime, the, the company that produced it uh, really started focusing on MMOs. Uh, the Secret World, if I'm sure you've probably heard of, was them, and Conan right. was them. And at the end of the day, well, I'm probably making a lot of this up in my head, but the way I see it, the producer said, okay, this is great, we've done a load of MMOs, when are we going to make some more uh, Longest Journey? And they're like... Well, I was thinking about making another MMO, actually. He's like, right, that's it. We're going to make our own company with Hookers and Blackjack, and you're going to license my story to me. And then they did a Kickstarter, and it got lots of money. Yay! And they're going to make a sort of new Dreamfall, and everybody's going to be happy. Because it finished on a cliffhanger. It was like, damn, that's the end? (laughs) Hell, man. (laughs) That was the uh, the first Kickstarter that I ever backed, personally, um, oh, after okay. you introduced it to me. And this wasn't that long ago. This was, what, three, four months ago? Yeah, was? It was, um, this Very year, recent. yeah. But, um, yeah, having played the first two games in the series, which, you know, calling it a series is a little bit of a misnomer because we've got a point-and-click adventure for the first one and then kind <laughs> of a, a 3D point-and-run adventure <laughs> yeah. for the second one. I mean, uh, they both... tried to modernize the concept, I think, in a way with Dreamfall and also set it as a... It's not strictly a sequel as such in its own right completely to Longest Journey, but it's very <laughs> much in the same universe yes. and has some of the same characters without saying too much. But Yeah, and I mean... It, it's really, for me, it's kind of the perfect example of why crowdsourcing is and should be a thing, because these are games that didn't make billions of dollars, you know, we're not talking about a Call of Duty here, but the fan base was rabid enough, and it's the kind of thing that you're going to see again with, you know, Veronica Mars, yeah. or, uh, you know, any number of other things where they have a very rabid but small fan base that is willing to throw in for this, and essentially, in, in some cases, even kind of pay for the game twice. You know, if you mm. threw in 50 bucks to the uh, the Longest Journey Kickstarter, you're probably going to be paying another 50 bucks, 
you know, unless you got one of the rewards that is a free copy of the game, etc. Yeah, right. I think but, at that level, you're pretty much guaranteed a free copy of the game. Yeah, that's what, okay, from what so I recall, that's a bad rewards. example. It's I not, guess. well, uh, like Les said, it's never guaranteed, and, you know, but I think... You know, I've always wondered if we've maybe entered was. some sort of era where just, like, you know, shows and things like that never die. Like, they just goes under, <laughs> and then everyone just keeps picking it back up again. And, if they, you know, like, Arrested Development just came back. Futurama just came back. Or, well, it's been well, back for a just while. Just finished again. And, and Futurama <laughs> just died. I mean, yeah, Family Guy stuff. way back in the day. Yeah, all that if they're, stuff. If they're successful enough to plant that initial seed, I would agree that they never really die. But some, you know, fail early enough. Hope that they <laughs> mostly do die. And probably should. Is, is there a danger here, though, that um, obviously a lot of these series have a lot of kind of fan reaction behind them of wanting to support them and bring them back to life or keep them alive but is there a danger in that that by not letting the kind of natural turnover that's happened in the past go on that you you don't see so many exciting new things coming out because people uh. know that if you're going to get if you're going to get triple-A kind of blockbuster funding, you're just going to make something generic or whatever anyway to put it in the most cynical possible <laughs> well, sense. I, I, and I if you're going to get Kickstarter crowdfunding, then you're going to rely instead on something you know people are going to back. Well, Kickstarter, which does, existing... Kickstarter does not only exist to revive old, uh, lost, um, but popular labels. Well, no, oh. indeed. <laughs> if it were, what... Firefly would be back by now. <laughs> Well, yeah. Good but what, what I'm saying is, if you imagine the amount of money that was raised for that Veronica Mars uh, Kickstarter, if you imagine that was, instead of the guy who made Veronica Mars, it was somebody you hadn't heard of, and instead of Veronica Mars, it was a young lady detective, or some similar concept, or some unrelated concept you hadn't heard of, would they have got the same amount of money towards it? Would they have got funded? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe it would, with a bit well, I mean, of uh, but creative it, uh, work. A, a lot of Kickstarter projects are new things, and and they're instead of being sold on the promise of, oh, hey, this is that old IP that you love, it's being sold on the promise of, hey, that pitch and that trailer and that concept art sounds really interesting. So sure, I'll throw in $25 for a PDF instruction booklet and digital copy of the game. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, I, and yeah, looking at the uh, five projects I've backed, um, yeah, uh, none of them, other than Veronica Mars, are uh, are sequels or anything. So it's, okay. I, I think it's, um, you can use it as that platform to try and get multi-million dollar funding for a forgotten IP, or you can just try to get a few thousand dollars or a few tens of thousands of dollars to get your dream project off the ground, whether it's a retread or something original or whatever people but now that double fine adventure opened the door and all of these other uh successful projects like tides of numenera and veronica mars have been so successful there has uh kickstarter people are checking kickstarter for new interesting things every day and there are blogs and probably podcasts de devoted to telling people about new kickstarter projects that's and what I've... we're going to do from now on. Yeah, and all it's... Kickstarter all the time. This no, might I... be terrible to ask, but is there any right. like, assurance that these companies are actually producing the games and stuff like that? None Not just no. pitching an idea and say, no. hey, give me money, and then they just run off and say, oh, it just didn't take off. Yeah, that, well, you know that, these there is no who... guarantee like that. You know these people who um, say they're making a film to get 
tax breaks and you know investment initiatives and that sort of thing and they have no no plans on doing it now they've got a double avenue they can make a kickstarter for it as well and <laughs> rake in a load of money it'll well, still I mean, never happen god you are just a scammer in every episode now aren't you yeah, there there is the possibility for that mind. happening but i mean for uh it would be big news if a kickstarter just end, ends up fleecing people out of tens of thousands of dollars or dare i say more than that but it hasn't happened in a large enough uh, money at dollar amount yet for people to really revolt. And so, and there haven't been very many deliveries on Kickstarter prom- promises yet because not very many of these projects have finished yet. I mean, FTL, I think that I'm, which I mentioned earlier, I think is the highest profile example. Yeah, boy, I... it's a shame that uh, Kickstarter wasn't around when Corda's project was. Uh... Going on strong on con there. Maybe he well, uh, got a little extra incentive to get Funny it. you should yeah. mention that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny that you should mention that because uh, his current project, which is actually a film that is uh, in process, uh, he did put that on Kickstarter, and I have backed it twice. Uh, the first That's time awesome. it actually fell just a little bit short of the goal, so it didn't get funded, but uh, then they recreated it with some different parameters, and uh, it did successfully get funded this time, so hopefully he is uh, working on that hard as we speak. Uh, wow, good for him. Cool. Uh, or, uh, or sipping pina coladas uh, on a beach somewhere. <laughs> with well, the... uh, you know, I still plan on getting him in here for a concast at some point. So, uh, I got oh, you can edit that out then, that's fine. Yeah, we can put him to the sword on it. Uh, the sword? Did I say sword? Sword. Sword, uh, sword I, to secrecy. I, sword I think, and sorcery. <laughs> I think in theory, like, the crowdfunding mechanism should be the kind of purest form of capitalism. It's It should be pure supply and demand. Somebody comes up with something that they're willing to supply, even if it's a couple years down the road, and the people that think that's a good idea will give them money to make it happen. The people that are trying to push things that aren't any good won't get the money, and therefore they never get made. You're cutting out the middleman, basically, aren't you? You're avoiding... It's like not having an agent looking at CVs who doesn't actually know and uh, and also the employer wants, but they're just going to look for certain keywords and forward people. You just... Just cut that out, man. You you just cut out the producers who are trying to cater to this alleged mass market, and you get you get the people who and, are going to watch the thing to put their own money towards it. Here and, is and, and, and go, go, sorry, go on. Here yeah. is the pessimist perspective because I've just said something <laughs> nice about it that can't be oh, allowed to stand. <laughs> I wanted to say more nice things, but hey, well, go ahead. you you can say them as a counterpoint and uh, and drum me into the ground. <laughs> But here, here is the pessimist's viewpoint. If you ever want to see anything nice again, you now have to pay over the odds for it yourself. Well, it's, it's no. the inverse to the humble bundle. Well, I mean, okay, I did not give to the Double Fine Adventure Kickstarter, but I am, and this is a theory. I mean, I mean, Broken Age could suck. But I am probably going to buy it sometime after it comes out. So even though I didn't, you know, give to the Kickstarter, I wasn't a, a backer. I'll still enjoy the product. So it's not, it's not, you know, nothing that you like will ever be produced ever again unless you gamble. It's more like, well, just more things are going to be. There are more avenues to production, so more things will be produced. And and as a consumer, you can never give to Kickstarter, but still reap the benefits of it by just buying the products that it produces 
You can, but if if there aren't enough people to take the attitude that you need to give to these projects to get them funded, then it would stop working. And that's it, that's why I think what makes it fun for a lot of people is there is you know that element of game to it where oh I'd like to have this but I don't want to give them any money so I'm going to roll the dice and hope that other people kick in and then I can still get it. To me, I do think I do think it is a good idea. And don't get me wrong; it's my duty to present the most pessimistic <laughs> viewpoint. But right. there is there is genuinely a side to it that is kind of it is in a way a reaction to industry being purely focused on numbers and revenue and missing out far too much on artistic integrity well, you know you these are things that are being funded because people want them and if enough people want them producers somewhere should be picking them up i i like that you brought that up because it's one thing that i did want to hit before we drop this topic uh and i think it's a question that's going to make people go oh yeah what would happen if for some reason Squeenix decided to get in on this? What what would happen uh, if they came in and said, Oh, you want versus thirteen? You want whatever the hell Final Fantasy is? Oh, God. Exactly. That that is the logical no, conclusion of that. Uh I I mean people would view that with a lot of suspicion and probably apprehension because like hey you guys are already on the producer side of things you don't need our money you should just make that yourself anyway it's i mean well, you know, you know, I, I don't think you're gonna see a square enix or activision or ea or blizzard kickstarter well, anytime soon this is the thing i mean there's already some of them i see out there and i already kind of have that sort of twin <laughs> you should be able to do this without me giving you a load of money anyway. Oh, yeah, you know, there's plenty of those. You know, established game studios and film studios. Like, just there's, just uh, get on with it. Just do it. Don't stop bloody gouging me for cash. I'd, I'd like to um, give two examples of, uh, of Kickstarters that were, a lot of people took that attitude. And it helps because there are also two particularly unusual Kickstarters, and they're from the same producer, so to speak. The popular webcomic Penny Arcade has done two Kickstarters in the past year. One was last year where they uh, asked for $2 million, and if they hit... Well, actually, I think the, the, their target was lower than that, but um, but their one of their big end goals was if uh, fans um, can back it up to $2 million, then Penny Arcade would not have any advertisements on it for a full calendar year. And eventually, other uh, other um, stretch goals are what they're usually called for making it above that two million dollars. Where if you if this raises two point five million dollars, then we're going to fund this web series. And basic, and there is a, a very detailed um, tree of additional content that Penny Arcade would produce if they were able to reach certain funding goals. And as a result, uh, Penny Arcade hit that anti-advertising goal, so they're not going to advertise for a full year. I forget when the exact starting date of that year was, but it was clearly written out. And they also produced a very popular web series called Strip Search, where they're looking for a um, talented comic strip artists. And uh, a lot and a lot of their content for uh, the 2013 and 2014 are going to be funded from that Kickstarter project. And our and the second. Um, Kickstarter that Penny Arcade did is actually one of the five Kickstarters I've given to, but uh, they um, Penny Arcade used to run a podcast called Don- Downloadable Content, and so 
Penny Arcade said, hey, we, we want to revive downloadable content, but to do so, you guys need to support us. So they're, they decided to post a Kickstarter with a whopping $10 goal. <laughs> and and uh, at, there's like, at $10, we're going to start the, the DLC podcast up again. So obviously they were planning on doing that anyway. But um, by pledging a bu- by pledging, you know, different amounts of money in their uh, in their funding trees, they would give you archives of old episodes, or they would give you outtake reels, or um, or um, a, a additional Penny Arcade merchandise. Basically, it was pay however much you want for whatever prize tier they have available, and the more you pay, the more elaborate and the more uh, content we'll put in the in the old podcast. And of course, um. They they funded about two hundred thousand dollars of their ten dollar goal, for a <laughs> for something like a, a twenty thousand uh, percent completion percentage. But so but that those are two unusual ways that Penny Arcade has successfully employed Kickstarter and some and even though it's there I mean Penny Arcade is not exactly a uh, a, produ- a production juggernaut like Activision Blizzard. But some people were saying, man, these Penny Arcade guys are really successful. What the hell do they need Kickstarter for? But their defense, and I'm inclined to side with them, I guess, because I'm an insufferable optimist, uh, was that they basically wanted their fans and readers to, to determine the amount of content that Penny Arcade delivers and to say how much they're willing to pay for that content. Well, look, here's the thing. I mean, I, I think the point I was making that uh, was frowned upon the first time it kind of goes back to the point I made later which which was I think the way what I was saying about you will never see nice things again is that (laughs) having nice things in a way up to now has relied on some producer or some guy with a lot of money seeing the you know the artistic value or the merit in something beyond dollars and I wonder if those people will be more inclined to say you want to do that stuff go to Kickstarter and I I like I'm torn on it because I sort of I like the idea that that stuff can be funded without having to go through and get the idea that, that you know some benefactor somewhere out there is going to support Great it, expectations but, on the other hand, it, it does. The people with money are always going to make this decision. If it's always down to individuals to donate, then it's going to be the people who can donate who decide what gets made, and that doesn't necessarily give you quite as broad of a cross section as one would hope. If that became the only way you would ever get anything funded, I don't know. I'm just looking into a dystopian future. That's the way I see things. <laughs> Well, I, I think the the middle ground between those two things is, you know, where things are eventually going to settle. I, I think, you know, it's still a growing process. The the thing that I'm thinking of in terms of AAA type companies, you know, like like Squeenix, is that maybe they're well, yeah, okay. I know that you were about to say, oh, they're still AAA, but <laughs> their credit rating has been badly downgraded. That's another topic for another time. Um, the, the thing that I can see this happening is that instead of getting people to throw in, you know, five bucks, you know, maybe a company like Squeenix starts treating it a little bit more like a pre-order with direct distribution. You know, you want a Final Fantasy VII remake? Okay, give us 50 bucks, but when we get funded and when we do it, you get the game for free. 
And then, yeah, it would I, be 50 bucks though, wouldn't it, with them? This no, minimum no, not donation to get any reward. Because it's Square Enix. They sell mobile games <laughs> for $20. They don't, they don't understand any, anything modern. There, there's no point. If well, they the did con- it, they would be laughed out of court because they would do I mean, it wrong. 50 they, bucks they, is a thrown out their number, but that's still the going rate for a AAA game. Yeah. It's expensive over there, man. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, they, they used to be worse. I paid eighty for my uh, original copy of Final Fantasy three for the SNES. Yeah, and what a, are you gonna the do? SNES, the SNES days were pricey times, man. <laughs> but Jeez. I mean, on the other side of that, there I have thrown away probably over a hundred dollars on things on like just apps on my phone that I have absolutely no use for, <laughs> and tried once and was like, this is crap. And like I returned <laughs> it, and you know, sometimes they gave me my money back, and sometimes they didn't. Well, okay. So, Tittles, I'm probably going to leave you out of this because I can't imagine that you can come up with anything Thanks. that Squeenix would do oh, that would get you to pay money at this point. But <laughs> the rest of you guys, I think about something that Squeenix could do for you right now that would make you say, okay, yes, I will pre-order that. Now, would you be just as likely mm. to pay to a Kickstarter if no, I have got doing one. that ki- I have got one. Okay, well, we'll get to you in a second then. I now I don't even know what my question was. I, would you be just as likely to pre-order it in a store or on Amazon or Amacon, as it were, as hey. it would be to uh, do a Kickstarter if you thought that if it got funded, you'd go ahead and get that game anyway, whether it was free or for another $10 or whatever? And is there anything that the company could do that if they went that route, it would pique your interest? Or is it just something that a company like Squeenix can't do in your eyes? I um, I think there would have to definitely be a pricing balance that would really have to be, you know, figured out and it might take too long before that to happen, but you know, if it it depends. Like I guess it depends on how they like if they're just going to say, you know, okay, what do you guys want? And that would be this and you know, as, um, unless I could just say like, hey, I want another chrono trigger or something like that and you know, then then I would be probably more inclined to you know, do something like that, but not if they're just like, you know what, we want to do a Final Fantasy VII remake for the, you know, yet again. I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I would, I would pay attention to something like this, but the pro- but the project would have to be right and the price would have to be right. I just gotta say this: no, 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 <laughs> no. This, the whole point of this thing, is that you can support projects that have no chance of being greenlit on their own. I'm not getting into some game with established producers going, you want it? Well, you'll have to pay for it before we even start making it, and then we might not even finish it. How do you like them apples? And it might be rubbish. Yeah, and, and also, I... to go back to my point about um, too much democracy, if you like, <laughs> if you want to put it that way... <laughs> Let, let's let's change the model a little bit and let's say EA comes out and says, right, we're going to put out a load of games out here for you. you. You can put your money towards whichever one you want. Whichever one gets the most money, we're going to make it. Now, if you put Mass Effect out there and you put Dragon Age out there and you put um, some nice indie game out there and then you put... Uh, Call of Duty out there, which I know is Activision, but shut up, it's a good analogy. Which one do you think would get they would pick that would get funded? Here's the Kickstarter I want from Square Enix. <laughs> if you raise the enough MMO. money, we will fire everybody 
in charge of our company and bring back all the people who made games in the 90s. Well, why would you even need to give them money? I and mean, they're already, you know, <laughs> losing executives left and right. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I they're mean... not gonna they're not gonna get they're not gonna get someone creative and intelligent back in. They're gonna get somebody who used to work as a, a vice director at EA. You know, it's it's funny uh, because in the back of my head, while I was listening to you guys answer that hypothetical that I threw out there, the thing that immediately came to my mind, uh, especially when Mooney said something about Chrono Trigger, was okay. If there was a Kickstarter for a Final Fantasy Tactics proper sequel, not one of the advanced games, or if there was a Kickstarter to restart the Chrono Trigger series, and they also threw in that they would try to use some of that money to lure old employees back to the company you know i could see a lot of people going for that even people who are very cynical about uh i can see no obviously they wouldn't be able to do a lot of that stuff you know that would be setting themselves up to disappoint a lot of people but that sort of thing would really day-to-day business (laughs) i can see a lot of people going for it and that's what worries me because there's absolutely no reason that they should there is no reason that you should put your money out there when the company, in reality, is throwing good money after bad a lot of the time. Yeah. What are they uh, doing with all the money they already have? Do something good with it. 18 versions of Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> it's just, if you can't trust them to make the right decisions of what to put out there to begin with, with their own money, how can you trust them to make a good product if they so don't, don't even understand? don't trust them and don't give them they money. they be making it yeah. anyway? And then let them learn a hard lesson from it. I, You know, and... <sighs> You're, but that's you're... not how it's going to work. People are gullible. Yes, yes. people are gullible. Yeah, Especially Squeenix fans. All of you listening to this, gullible. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one last thing to hit before we wrap up shop today, and that's something that Laz pointed out to me in IM earlier today, and I oh. you know, can't read the calendar well enough to know. By the time we record again, E3 will be over. Right. So, uh... We sure time the no. schedule well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's uh, go around the table real quick and see, um, you know, see if there's anything that Squeenix might be able to do for you in E3 that would make you happy. Nope. Next. Well, okay. No, I'm, (laughs) there's nothing I can already think of in my head, but I think that's the point. They should do something that's actually going to surprise me. Sure. In a good way. Are you saying that, you know, if they just clarified the plans that they've been sitting on for years, which would theoretically give them the opportunity to move on to different things. Would that well, be not even good just that. Just, just, just come and tell me something you're going to do for me that I'm going to like. I don't know what it is yet, but just, just think of something different and good for a change instead of, oh, we're going to make another game around the battles. Oh, we, we should start a Kickstarter. <sighs> In order for you to figure out what you want. If everybody gives you five bucks, you'll sit down for an hour and figure out what you want. But that's not the point. Even with Kickstarters, somebody <laughs> pitches something to you and you decide whether you want it. If I, I was going to decide what Square Enix should be doing... I'm kicking myself right now. I should go and sit in the boardroom and decide it. But I don't. I'm not that guy. I don't have that creativity. They should put someone up there who does and <laughs> have them create a concept I will enjoy. So, Mooney, what do you want to see at E3? Uh, well, 
was it last year's E3 that they showed the new graphics engine that they were like demoing? I was that last year. I can't yeah, that, that that was the first time it appeared. It's appeared. A yeah, few well, times I would then, be but... interested to see that, but maybe not for a Final Fantasy title, just to see what they would do with it. I don't know. I I know this is probably slapping everyone in the face that says that graphics are everything, but I don't know. It would just be <laughs> interesting to see because at least they're working on something that's maybe slightly different, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's completely the same. But I don't know. I'm one of those rare, weird people that likes Final Fantasy 13. So sorry about. Oh that. no, you're on con, man. Everybody here laps that that stuff up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we well, do have some sort of reverse opinion on that game at con. It's really strange. Uh, standing outside the realm of speculation for a second, uh, Square Enix's marketing team has told us that they're gonna that they're gonna hold an event on the first day of E3. <laughs> Uh, they just called, love announcing announcements. We are called the future of Final Fantasy, and it will involve a Final Fantasy game for the PS4. But uh, other than that, they're just saying, "Please be excited for E3. Please wait for us to tell you more." <laughs> Come the on, this is the usual too. thing. Yeah, is but that a direct quote? <laughs> please, um, please, please. Uh, please be excited for E3 this year is a direct quote from their from their conference in February. Wow. And uh, and now they're basically just saying, hey, we're, we promise we'll show some stuff at E3, and even if it's not necessarily the Final Fantasy VII PS4 remake or Final Fantasy Tactics 2 for, you know, for online download that I want, it's going to be something. And it is uh, at 9 a.m. Pacific time, so that's, you know, noon Eastern or the late afternoon for Europe. Whatever, depending that, on wh- is that on the eleventh? Is that right, or is that the twelfth? Oh, uh, that's the eleventh, which is 11th. A, which is okay. Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's at E three is a Tuesday through a Thursday this year. Is that normal? Because I seem to yes. remember. Okay. I believe it is. I believe that's how they did it last year. Anyway. Like, I, I guess it's the cons- my memory goes. Yeah, I think it's the consumer focused ones, like old E three and current packs that uh, last a whole weekend plus. Yeah. I guess. Uh, I, Whatever. I I'm just gonna follow what... it on Twitter. Going back to one of our previous podcasts, uh, Microsoft think they're going to um, say something that's more interesting to gamers this time, so I'll be interested to hear what that is, and hopefully they'll be clearing up some of the um, used game-related rumors as well. In the next and... Call of Duty, you get a dog and a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And Sold. a used game. I, that, that's <laughs> a used cat. <laughs> used game is the least likely of the three. The cat even <laughs> stares at you passive aggressively. <laughs> that's every cat. You the loading screen is just a cat judging you. <laughs> I have a cat judging me as we speak. I don't need to get a Call of Duty game for that. I, but that's that's interesting. You know, to me, I I'm always interested to see what Squeenix are going to come up with, even if it ends up being a little bit underwhelming. And I think it's probably going to be a little underwhelming. But at the same time, I don't have any current interest in any next-gen machine whatsoever. So regardless of what it is, odds are it's not going to be on a device that I own because they're definitely not going to show up with a bunch of mobile games at E3. Even they know that they would get abused for that. But Josh, so, it might be on the Wii U. Nothing is going to be on the Wii U. <laughs> I know. That was the Hilarious. worst prize I've ever won for doing nothing. If you could find Mario Kart for the Wii, we, we'd be playing that. 
Well, yes, and I have found it. Unfortunately, I have yep. to also buy a Wiimote to play it because it won't use my Wii U pad to control it. I'm uh, still mad I can't play uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns, a platforming game with the pad. You have to ha- you have to shake the damn remote, yeah. the Wiimote to roll. It was the oh, same. That with, was one uh, of my biggest regrets. I the same feature. I don't know. There's there's some contract on the Wii where you have to have some form of motion control or something. It's uh, and some games, you know, even ship with uh, classic controllers or their special editions do with the hey, maybe you should play it on this kind of controller instead. <laughs> thing in mind. I know that I know that was true of Monster Hunter Try, but well, you know, those games are few and far between. We have just managed to come to a point where apparently what is happening at E3 is of so little value to the four of us that we started talking about Wii game controller schemes. Organically. It came out of nowhere. That is how exciting E3 is going to be this year. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. So uh, let's go down the list. Uh, Laz, say your goodbyes. Goodbyes to you. Excellent. Tiddles. Go away. Get off my lawn. Mooney, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully uh, we can have you back uh, in another time. And why not Zoidberg? And there's our Futurama reference for the day, right? Right? Yeah, that one I want to That'll work. (laughs) And that's me, Josh, uh, signing off. Thanks a lot for listening, as always. And we'll talk to you guys after E3 so we can talk about how bored we were throughout all of E3. You know, that got me thinking. Maybe we should be crowdfunding the Concast. Or maybe we should be crowdfunding E3 at this point. Anyway, we're Caves of Narsh. Check us out at cavesofnarsh.com or any of our social media presences. Today, you listen to the Final Fantasy IV Fat Chocobo theme uh, over and over and over again as Laz described crowdfunding. And here at the end, you're listening to the Blackjack theme from Final Fantasy VI. Talk to you later. <laughs>